वसुदेवशुतम देव कंसचाणुरमर्दनम देवकी परमानंदम कृष्णम वंदे जगद्गुरु so in the fifth chapter we were on verse number um 15 yes that's where we had stopped last time nadatte kasyachit papam nachaivam sukritam vibhu agyane navritam gyanam tena mayanti jantava the omnipresent lord does not accept the sin or virtue of anybody knowledge is enveloped by ignorance because of this beings get deluded so what is going on now is a teaching of gyana yoga the highest teaching the ultimate purpose the ultimate point of advaita vedanta it's good to understand vedanta in this way uh in two stages first starting where we are we think of ourselves as this individual this body mind if you ask what are you our our instinctive answer is this and if you are asked describe it what, what do you what do you mean by this this body and yes life and yes mind and personality my personal history my awareness certainly my awareness so the the i usually for us it refers to body mind plus um, the awareness there so basically it refers to the the gross body the subtle body the causal body and the reflected consciousness so technically uh, before we are enlightened uh, the i when i say i it straight away points to physical body subtle body causal body and the consciousness reflected there which is called the chidabhas a reflected consciousness the original consciousness the pure consciousness the atman what advaita wants to teach us is there is right there but we don't mean that when we say i because we don't know it we don't feel it that way so that's the that's where we start so vedanta starts there you think of yourself as this person who is seeking enlightenment very good then you need to go through certain preparations for enlightenment and those preparations are what has been described earlier as karma yoga karma yoga bhakti yoga dhyana yoga the the conversion of all our activities into the worship of god there is karma yoga uh, without uh, pursuing selfish goals there then devotion to god uh, it could be ritualistic it could be you know through hymns and songs um, so devotion bhakti yoga and concentration and meditation on the forms of god on the mantra all of that we do and our idea that i am the body mind is not disturbed there it is you are right hold on to that but now try to become a spiritual seeker a sadhaka a spiritual practitioner and all these practice practices are recommended then what happens is uh, through a, part of those practices are shravana manana nididhyasana shravanam the systematic literally means hearing systematically studying advaita vedanta the upanishads and all these texts the gita and all the other rigdrishya viveka and aparokshanubhuti as we systematically study it our understanding of what i mean by i is questioned is brought into question is analyzed and we are shown repeatedly in different ways in different texts that you cannot be this body 
that you cannot be the stream of um, thoughts called the mind. You cannot be even the intellect uh, or even the blankness which is beyond the intellect, the, the causal body. None of these, because these are all revealed to you, the consciousness. So you must be the consciousness which uh, shines upon and reveals this body-mind system. So you are this background awareness, this pure consciousness, which transcends the body-mind and acts in and through it, I mean, shines in and through it and enables the body-mind to act, to carry on its activities. So what happens is in our study of Advaita Vedanta, there is, uh, it's expected, there'll be a profound shift in the meaning of I. There will be a profound shift. It has to come. It's being, that is being taught and hammered again and again. What you take to be the I, body, mind, intellect, reflected consciousness, that is not the actual I. There is something which transcends all of these. It transcends the three bodies. What are the three bodies now? Physical body, subtle body, and causal body. It transcends the five koshas, the five sheets, the food sheet, the vital sheet, the mental sheet, the intellect sheet, and the causal or the, or the bliss sheet. The five sheets, it transcends that. What do I mean by transcends? By transcends, I mean it is none of these. It's not, a, not one of these bodies, not one of these sheets. And yet it is in and through all of these. It's right there. It's not something separate also that uh, here are the five sheets, here are the three bodies, and there is one thing called the Atman somewhere over there. No, it's right there. Just like gold is right there in the ornaments. And yet gold transcends the ornaments in the sense that gold is not limited to being a necklace or a bracelet or a ring or something. So you, the, the real self, the existence consciousness, please, we discovered it. And this is a breakthrough. First, we understand it by our study, like we are trying to do now. Then we get clarity about it. We deal with all the doubts as they come up. That is the stage of mananam or um, of reasoning and you know questioning and getting clarity. Every question is answered to our satisfaction. Then we think deeply about it. We get clarity about it. We get conviction about it. Even that's not enough. Then there's an actual moment of a breakthrough. We see that, oh, it is so. We discover, then there's a profound shift in the reference of the I. The I was directly referring to this body-mind intellect earlier. Now it does not refer to that. It refers to something beyond that, which, which is very clear to us now. So that is now revealed to us that I am Brahman. Chidananda Rupa Hashivoham. I am the nature of. Now it makes sense to me. It's not just something that I sing, that I am Shiva. I am of the nature of consciousness and bliss. It makes sense to me. It's clear now. So then I notice certain things that if I am this consciousness and I'm not the body, though remember the body, mind, uh, they're not entirely separate. The two are related, related in the sense that the body, mind, intellect, uh, all of that, the five koshas, the three bodies, they all depend upon consciousness for illumination. They all depend upon the Atman for existence. The Atman gives them, in, in uh, Sanskrit it says, Satta Sphurti. Hindi also they say, Satta Sphurti. Satta means existence, Sphurti means illumination, revelation. So you um, lend existence to the body, mind, intellect, and you lend uh, illumination to the body, mind, intellect. So this consciousness uh, is not the body. 
since it's not the body it disease is of the body not yours you realize that old age aging is of the body not yours death death is of the body not yours death will be there but you will not die and you realize it it's not a not a slogan anymore not a not a promise anymore it becomes obvious it's true then further because it's not the mind uh, not the prana also the, the vital shees hunger and thirst and illness and energy and all of that that belongs to the pranamaya kosha the vital sheet consciousness is not affected by those it illumines it reveals all of that mind ups and downs of the mind um, you know enthusiasm and boredom and uh, depression and uh, elation all the ups and downs of the mind are not your ups and downs that you realize because you are not the mind also this becomes clear so this consciousness apart from body mind immediately you notice it it solves all the problems of samsara at least for you it solves the problems of samsara uh, old age disease death suffering you realize it, none of that applies to any you anymore but that's not the end of it it goes further you begin to think are uh, there are many such consciousnesses immortal consciousnesses in all beings and vedanta reveals to you the consciousness in all of these beings is the same i am shining through all of these bodies and minds here in this body and mind i shine through and i call it sarva priyananda but in all those bodies and minds it's literally that one consciousness and i am that consciousness which is shining through all of them krishna says kshetragyam chaapi mam vidhi sarva kshetreshu bharata know me alone to be the um, illumination the, the knower of the field the consciousness in all fields so so that consciousness is not only beyond body and mind uh, enabling the body and mind but not affected by the ups and downs of the body and mind but is also one in all beings not only that um consciousness is not dependent on the body mind for its existence after the destruction of the body mind consciousness continues to exist after the destruction of the universe at the end of the universe consciousness continues to exist consciousness as the atman what i am talking about is the atman itself not consciousness in terms of what we talk about in modern consciousness studies thoughts feelings emotions no um so that continues to exist it is not limited by the existence of bodies and minds not even limited by the existence of the universe the screen movie screen continues to exist even after you switch off all movies it's perfectly unaffected by the existence by the playing of the movie or switching off of the movie now another thing you notice the consciousness itself the atman the real atman which is now the meaning of i chidananda roopa shivoham i am shiva of the nature of consciousness and bliss it does not do actions all actions are performed because of it notice body mind senses intellect ego all of it depends on you the atman and so that performs actions the individual being the sentient being jiva performs all the actions depending on you the real you the atman the atman itself does not perform any action and therefore the uh, so i'm coming to what was said in this verse therefore the atman the real nature what your real nature it is it is, does not do good deeds it does not do bad deeds and it does not receive the results of good or bad deeds this is the meaning of what has been said here 
this what does what does it say nadatte kasyachit papam na chaivam sukritam vibuhu this all pervading consciousness does not accept or is not affected by the bad deeds the evil deeds of um, any sentient being nor is it glorified or not does it enjoy the results of the good deeds of any sentient being although all the good deeds and bad deeds are going on and they are being um, enabled because of the presence of this consciousness but they are all an, at the level of an appearance transactional reality vyavaharika satyam paramarthika satyam the absolute truth is this existence consciousness bliss this shiva nature which you are therefore you can honestly say that i do not do these deeds nor am i getting the results of those deeds it's like you have a movie and it would be ridiculous to you know to say that if there's a villain in the movie performing a villain in the movie being villainous you need to arrest the screen and movie screen and put the screen in jail no it has nothing to do with the movie or the villain or jail and um, because the hero of the movie has done meritorious deeds and does wonderful heroic deeds you you don't have to praise the movie screen look what a good movie screen it is it's doing such good no but it but notice the two are not entirely separate because of the presence of the movie screen all kinds of uh, villainous and heroic deeds and misdeeds are going on uh, and yet in a certain sense not going on at all because it's only the movie screen which is there so it says that the movie screen does not accept the evil deeds or the punishment of the villain the movie villain and does not accept or enjoy the uh, heroic deeds and the rewards of the uh, movie hero similarly you the atman you enable all of it we are not talking about a dissociation alienation somebody else is doing good and bad deeds i am not doing anything you know that uh, i am the atman i did not do anything why are you punishing me very good we will not punish the atman but we will punish the body if you are really honest you will you would be fine with that there is a story in mythology this, this comes up in mythology for example there are so many such stories uh, once the lord of uh, the, the the gods indra indra in the heaven he found his throne being shaken and uh, uh, you know sin has come to catch hold of him what happened i didn't do any sin he said no but, but there is this poor brahmin uh back on earth and a cow wandered into his his uh, vegetable garden and was eating up the vegetables there and the brahmin in fury it took up a stick and hit the poor cow so hard that the cow died and killing a cow is is the great sin you know and so when the sin of killing the cow comes to catch the brahmin the brahmin said oh i didn't do it you know the it's the hand which did it and the and the devata the power behind the hand is indra so indra is all the each of the devatas they have their offices they have their uh, powers uh, their their certain stations so in the power of uh, operating the hands and action is indra so now now the sin says okay so i'll go and catch indra so he goes that doesn't work um as long as you are identified with body mind the body mind will get definitely get the results of all the work of all all karma so at that level karma operates at the level of the movie karma operates otherwise it would be a most peculiar movie if at you know any time the cops come to arrest the villain the villain says i am a screen you can't arrest me <laughs> it's true as a screen you can't arrest the movie screen but the villain can be arrested in the movie itself the two levels of reality 
Now, this all sounds weird because we do not know that level of reality. We do not know ourselves as the Atman. And that's what Krishna says in the next line. He says, um, Here, Jnana means the Atman itself, the pure consciousness. That I am pure consciousness. It is hidden from me because of uh, ignorance. This is the standard Advaita doctrine. Because of my ignorance, Ajnana, I don't know it. Tena muhyanti jantava. So jantu means animals. These animals, so we are animals. We are deluded. Uh, how are we deluded? We do not know ourselves as pure consciousness, ignorance. And then, then we think of ourselves as bodies and minds. And then, what's the problem? The problem is bodies and minds are seriously limited. And so all the limitations and problems of the body-mind comes upon me. And hunger and thirst and disease and old age and death and ambition and greed and lust and um, you know uh, anger. All of that, body-mind problems, they become my problems. And when I act under the influence of body-mind problems, I'm caught in the machinery of karma. Good and bad deeds lead to good and bad um, results. Actions have consequences. And so... Life after life, I'm being whirled around. Although I have really nothing to do with all of this. I am the reality underlying all of that. Now for any ignorance, we know the standard Advaita uh, doctrine here. For ignorance, the uh, solution, the medicine is knowledge. What knowledge? Whatever you are ignorant about, you need knowledge about that. It won't help me to say that I'm ignorant about Sanskrit and go and learn and sit down in the physics department. Physics knowledge will not help me to remove my ignorance about Sanskrit. Similarly, all the knowledge of the sciences and the arts will not help me to remove ignorance about myself. You need self-knowledge. Knowledge about the self, Atma Vidya, which is what Krishna is, has been teaching all along. That Atma Vidya, how do you get that? You get that by... Shravana, Manana, Nididhyasana. You, you come to Vedanta, hear and study, and then you reason and work it out for yourself, and then meditate upon it till it becomes a living reality. So this is what it is. Um, Jantava, the animals, we are a unique type of animal. This body-mind, which we have got right now, especially the body, the human body, is a unique type of animal in which uh, it is possible to attain enlightenment. And that's what Krishna speaks about next. The next two verses are very, very powerful, wonderful verses. I will dwell upon these two for the rest of the class today. Number 16. tu yesham nashitam atmanaha teshamadityavajjhanam prakashayati tatparam but those whose ignorance has been destroyed by the knowledge of the self, their knowledge, like the sun, manifests that highest being. Beautiful verse. Very powerful verse. It says, um, those. Who are those? They um, are the ones who prepare themselves. We know the whole story by now. The fourfold qualifications. Viveka, the discernment between the eternal and the non-eternal. Um, then vairagya, a dispassion for the non-eternal, a, a seeking of, of God, a seeking of the eternal reality. And then discipline. What is the discipline? The sixfold discipline of the body-mind. Um, shama, which is 
calmness of the mind, inner quietude, dhamma, control of the organs, sense organs and motor organs. And then uh, titiksha, a spiritual fortitude, toughness to pursue, to see it through to the end, this, uh, this um, spiritual quest. Um, then there is, um, I was just reading Swami Turiyanandaji, in one of the reminiscences, he's telling a monk that, you know, one thing I look back and I look back upon my life, one quality I notice in myself is that whatever I've taken up, I've done it to the end. That I, I've seen it through to the end. Even small things. So whatever he would take up, he would see it through to the end. He would not uh, do it in, you know, like slowly, lazily, take it up and give it up. And this is something I've noticed in all the direct disciples. And in fact, all the great spiritual seekers. Focus and determination and seeing it through. So uh, this is titiksha, a spiritual fortitude. And then uh, uparati, a withdrawal from too many worldly engagements. Rati, enjoyment of senses in the world. Uparati, the reverse, pull back. Then samadhana, having pulled back, what do you do with the time and energy and the mental space you have cleared up? Focus. Samadhana means settling down, focus. Focus on what? Vedantic study and reflection and meditation. And then um, uh, samadhana, uh, shraddha. So there is a, a, a deep abiding faith that this is all leading to somewhere. There's something behind all of this. It is true. I don't get it right now, but I will. Have I got all six? Shama, Dhamma, Titiksha, Uparati, Samadhana. Then I missed out one. Um, then there is a shraddha. Um, Shraddha, I mentioned Shraddha. Yeah, so yes, six. And then there is Mumukshutvam, intense desire to be free. So it's a tall order, but we all have it to some extent. It's not that we all have it to the, to the best possible extent, but we all have it to some extent in order to, in that we are spiritual seekers and we have been doing this for, in many cases, in your case, for years and years. So we have all of these qualities to some extent. And um, with these qualities, person engages in Vedanta. Having undergone the earlier practices, see, where do you get all these qualities? Where do you develop your fitness for spiritual, for, for illumination? The all the karma yoga, which was mentioned earlier. So we have led an ethical life or we are leading an ethical life. We, uh, we practice some form of religion. This is Vedanta is very, is very um, uh, broad here. From a Vedantic perspective, be religious. It really doesn't matter if you are Catholic or you are Muslim or if you are a Vaishnava, you are a, a Shakta. That is so extraordinarily broad. Because from a Vedantic perspective, it is all devotion to Saguna Brahman, God, Ishvara. So devotion to God in whatever form. The Vedanta has no problem at all. None of this quarreling about that's wrong and this is right. No, it's all right as long as you do it. And so um, that prepares the mind. With such a prepared mind, you come to Vedanta. And you study the Upanishads and the Bhagavad Gita, the Brahma Sutras, the introductory texts. They all tell you the same thing in various different ways. They're all telling you the basically the same thing. Tatvamasi, that thou art. Um, you might ask if, if that's simple, why do I need to listen to it so many times? I know it by heart. Yes, but as we have been seeing in the Vedanta Sar class, it's not all that easy. I mean, when you go deeply, we don't really understand it. It's not no use saying it like a slogan. 
you know, if everybody can say E is equal to MC square, but how many of us know the mathematical derivation that goes behind it to who, those who really understand it? Uh, I remember reading about uh, this scientist, Russian mathematician, who says that there's this whole trend of popularization of science these days. Yes, Stephen Hawking and others. It started in the 1940s, 50s, people writing popular books on physics and mathematics, especially physics. Um, and uh, which is good, which is good. People uh, understand the cutting edge work in science. But it's also a little misleading because people think they have understood. So this Russian mathematician says he was in a plane and next to him was sitting an American businessman who was reading Stephen Hawking's Brief History of Time. And uh, this um, Russian mathematician said to him, so do you understand this? I'm, I'm putting on the accent. Uh, it's, <laughs> it was not there in the article. Do you understand this? And the American businessman said, yes, of course, it's wonderful. What's there not to understand? And this mathematician said, well, um, you know, there are certain parts which are not very clear to me. And uh, he says the businessman pulled out um, a napkin and took out a pen and said, look, I'll explain it to you. And he drew some diagrams and tried to explain it to him. And said, the mathematician said, I didn't, said that I didn't have the heart to tell him that I collaborated with Stephen Hawking on some of these papers. <laughs> so there are different levels of understanding. Uh, so it takes all these texts. You get a better understanding when you read Aparokshanabhuti. You get an even better understanding of the whole framework when you read Vedanta Sara. But then when you come to the actual Upanishads, you come to the real thing. Um, the, uh, so you get an even deeper understanding. When you read the dialectical texts where there are attacks from many different sites on this teaching. And then uh, they call it a sthuna nikandana nyaya, a pole. When you are driving it into the ground, what you do is you sometimes take it out, shake it a little bit and drive it in even further. This shaking it a little bit is uh, when you understand something and then you attack it from every possible angle. Then when you get the answers to those questions, those objections, your understanding has become even deeper and more clearer. You now know, okay, so this is what it means. This is what Maya means. This is what falsity of the world means. Yes. Having done that, um, you get clarity, you get conviction, then you settle down with that knowledge, uh, the clarity and conviction which you have got, you settle down with it. That is Nididhyasana, Vedantic meditation, which he'll talk about a little later. And then there is a breakthrough. Uh, it could happen even before Nididhyasana, there is a breakthrough. You, what I said earlier, the, the reference of the I shifts completely. I am not the body and mind. I am this um, everlasting, ever-shining witness consciousness. Uh, this one consciousness in all beings. So this becomes clear to you. This breakthrough happens. This is what he uses, a very beautiful imagery. Adityavadhyanam. Like the sun rising, what was indistinct, what was covered in darkness, what was seen wrongly, suddenly all darkness is dispelled. The sun rises and everything is revealed clearly. One of the commentators says, just as you see a pot in the blazing clear daylight uh, by the light of the sun. Exactly like that. Not that you Brahman is revealed like a pot. That's not the intent. What is the intent here is clarity. It's, it's clear. Like that, you get this knowledge. What knowledge? Aham Brahmasmi. I am Brahman. Not only Brahman exists, but I am that Brahman. This is the nature of that breakthrough. He says it's like the sun rising. 
There's the distinction between darkness and night. There's confusion, lots of things you don't see, many things you see by mistake, many things you imagine. That's our day-to-day -day life, like dream walking through life. This is like waking up. This is like the night being dispelled, darkness being dispelled, and the sun rising. Um, what is clearly mentioned in all the Vedant, uh, Vedantic texts, Satchidananda Brahman, existence, consciousness, bliss. I am that. This becomes clear. Um, so he says here, Jnanena tu tadagyanam yesham nashitam atmanaha. Jnanena, by knowledge. What knowledge? I am Brahman. Where did it come from? Shravana, manana, nididhyasana. Um, of what? Of Vedantic texts. By whom? They, yesha means those. Who are those? Not everybody. Those who are prepared. What is the preparation? We know. A wealth of information has been provide, provided. It's a lifelong effort that we are going through. Tesham Adityavadhyanam. For them, Aditya means sun. Uh, knowledge like the sun. Prakashayati Tatparam reveals that highest reality. As what? I am that. It reveals that. Now, what happens next? Next verse is very important. Um, now you need to stay with it. You have got this breakthrough. I'm saying this because there are many senior students of Vedanta here. We all get a feeling that I sort of get it, what, what they are talking about. Now what do I do? Now this is what you do. This is coming now. You need to stay with it. You need to put some effort into it. You need to immerse yourself, you know, like marinate in that knowledge. Get that clarity, settle down in that clarity and stay with it. How you will do that, that's going to be talked about next. So the verse which we are going to go into now, number 17, has, um, I can say, two interpretations. One is the interpretation, which is a general interpretation, which I'll give you later. But one is the advanced interpretation. And I'll give you, tell you also where I get these interpretations from. So I'll tell you the advanced interpretation first. The advanced is that I am clear. I am Brahman now. I'm, I, I'm, if you're not clear, go back to the... Um, you know, earlier stage. The earlier stage is Mananam. What is your doubt? Where are you getting stuck? Or even, even earlier stage. I don't even know what the texts are telling me. Uh, there are all these books. All right, that's, then study. Listen. Repeat the classes. Uh, once that is cleared, or at least you have an intuition that I begin to get what you're talking about. Now what you do, that's the advanced practice. That advanced practice is going to be mentioned here. Uh, let me read it, and then I'll explain. 17th verse. Tad buddhaya stadat tadatmana tannishtha tatparayana gachantya punara vrittim jnana nirdhuta kalmasha. Those who are decided on that, those whose mind is set in that, who are devoted to that, and whose last resort is that, attain to non return with their sins winnowed off by knowledge. Okay, very powerful verse. What is it talking about? Advanced interpretation. If you already have that breakthrough, if you already have clarity, even, let's not use the language of breakthrough because then many people will think, I don't have breakthrough, but I understand what Vedanta is saying. All right, if you really think you understand what Vedanta is saying, then this is for you. What, what remains for you now? What remains for you is called Jivan Mukti and Videha Mukti. 
you are a jnani you know you are convinced you have clarity and not even saying if you have a breakthrough or not you have you are convinced you have clarity now what you need to do is um, jivan mukti and videha mukti jivan mukti is um, that i pass my days my days means as long as this body lasts because of past karma prarabdha karma it will last for some time i know i am not this body but then the body is there and i am seeing the world through this body i'm experiencing the thoughts and feelings which were there in this body earlier all of that is still going on the movie is still playing how do i keep my mind on the screen while watching the movie how do i um, live as brahman yet through this body and mind that's jivan mukti and that's the highest state possible um, the whole purpose of vedanta in one sense is that attainment of this jivan mukti jivan mukti sukha prapti manushya janma hetave turyanand ji used to say that this solved his question what is the point of all of this creation of the all the universe and life and spirituality uh, he says jivan mukti is worth it to be brahman but not just brahman but it's worth it to be a jivan mukta in the midst of samsara in the midst of this world in the midst of manifestation therefore all of manifestation becomes worth it if you are a jivan mukta and it's so it's worth uh, trying to get that and once you are a jivan mukta uh, you will also uh, when the body drops off finally the exhaustion of prarabdha karma the past karma is gone there is no future karma for you because it's all been destroyed by illumination by by um, realization therefore you will never come back again in a limited form as as a body mind you know as a jiva that is called videha mukti or kaivalya mukti that is freedom bodiless freedom so this is the now that this is what remains for for you now how do you do that in four stages remember four stages these four stages are the advanced interpretation for just for the person i am speaking about and uh, just one thing here don't take it otherwise this applies very well to a monk so the whole idea why do you become a monk is in preparation for enlightenment it's uh, the monastic lifestyle is suitable for sadhana that's why one becomes a monk and remember all this discussion we had this earlier why it's actually more uh, reasonable why it's uh, safer to remain as a householder and yet practice spiritual disciplines but one must admit that if you are ready for it and then the monastic lifestyle has many advantages for a spiritual seeker and after you make the breakthrough after you make the breakthrough after you have this clarity conviction about vedanta one can become a monk after that also that is called vidvat sanyasa so there is vividisha sanyasa and vidvat sanyasa vividisha sanyasa is what we became we became monks because we wanted to become enlightened vividisha means desire to for enlightenment desire for realization desire for knowledge vividisha and that's why we are monks not that we are enlightened we are not jivan muktas we are trying to become enlightened and that's why i have taken a specialized lifestyle so that's one category and that's the majority of monks but it's also possible and vidyarnya swami discusses it in his book jivan mukti viveka it's also eminently possible that you already are a master of vedanta you already have clarity you already are convinced about it you say i'm sold i i believe all of it i see it all and i i actually feel that it's true then would you 
if you're, you're still not a monk, would you become a monk? Yes, well, you could. And it, it is advantageous at this stage to practice these four steps. It is easier to, uh, for, a, for a monk to do it. And that kind of a monk is called a Vidvat Sanyasa, the monastic life of the knower of Brahman, who is already is a jnani. Uh, why would that person become a monk? What good, what special advantage accrues to a person who already feels that I am Brahman is it's easier to practice these four stages, uh, these four practices. What are the four practices? Tad buddhaya first. Buddhi means knowledge. The knowledge, sarvatra brahma darshana, to see Brahman everywhere, in every action, in every person. You already know it, and I'll explain how you, uh, this person sees it. Uh, I'll, uh, vividly in every action the persons you are with um, the instruments of action the car you are using the computer you are using um, the spoon with which you are eating those are the instruments of action the people in, who are involved in that action the person you are serving the food the person you are driving in the car um, the person you are communicating with in a class or writing a report all of those persons also all are Brahman. How so? How so? You realize that I, this existence consciousness, in all these beings, is there not existence? Is there not this sense of presence, isness? It's there, obviously, shining forth all the time. Sometimes people ask, you know, when we keep using the English word consciousness, consciousness, a kind of uh, false idea develops in the mind. Oh, so this consciousness which I'm feeling, that's Brahman. Not that. That's just the reflected consciousness. And therefore, there are, there are questions which follow from this wrong conception. Question is, so if consciousness is everywhere, the next question will be, in that case, is there consciousness in a stone? Is there consciousness in a, um, in a spoon? Um, you wouldn't even ask that question if you realize that consciousness and existence are the same thing. So does a stone not exist? Why are you even asking? Because we are thinking of consciousness as thinking and memory and thought and feeling and emotion. So does a stone have that? Does a spoon have that? You don't even have to think. You are thinking about the mind. When you are thinking about objects out there in the world, just notice existence. Just notice that they are present. There is an isness. Spoon is. Computer is. Rock is. What is that isness? If you have gone through Vedantic analysis, you, I don't have to go through all of that. You've gone through it, you notice it as bare presence. That isness, which you feel right now. You feel it everywhere. It's an ocean of existence. It's not that uh, waves have water. I, have I see thousands of waves in the ocean. Each one has a certain amount of water. That's not the right way of looking at an ocean. It is a mass of water which appears as waves of various sizes. Similarly, when we look at the universe around us right now, a book exists, book is, um, table is, man is, woman is. No, that's not the right way of looking at it. Book has some existence, man has some existence, woman has some existence. Not at all. In fact, modern philosophy did from Bertrand Russell's time, uh, it is, he did something called the theory of descriptions, which completely disproves this. It's illogical to talk about things having existence. 1,200 years before Bertrand Russell, Shankaracharya writing his commentary on the 16th verse of the Bhagavad Gita, Nasato Vidyate Bhava, he uses almost exactly the same uh, logic. Existence is not adjectival. Existence is not a property. 
existence is the reality upon which you impose properties. It's not like waves have water. It's water which comes up as waves. It is not that things have existence. It is existence which appears as things. Language deludes us. We say chair exists. Vedanta would have you say existence chairs. It's an ocean of existence. Everything that you see here is a wave in that ocean of existence. It's just a name and a form and a function. But the substance, the reality in everywhere is existence. You feel that isness everywhere. Like the fourth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, we read Brahma, Brahma the instrument is Brahman, um, the offering is Brahman, uh, the fire is Brahman. So existence is appearing as this instrument, existence is appearing as, as the fire, existence is appearing as the action, existence is appearing as uh, the person doing the action. And notice, I'm not making a theoretical argument here. You are at the stage, we are talking about the advanced practitioner. You're at the stage for whom you would say, yes, of course. It's the most obvious thing. Why are you dwelling on this? It's a fact. Dwell on this. This is called Tad Buddhaya. Sarvatra Brahma Darshan. I will explain where I got all this from later on. But this is the advanced practice. Sarvatra Brahma Darshan. This is some of the practice of monks in Shankara's uh, orders in the advanced stages of Nididhyasana. So everything that you experience, whatever you see, wh whomever you see, whatever you smell and taste and touch, uh, all of that, whatever you think about, notice immediately. The, the attention goes not to the person, not to the activity, not to the thing, but to the existence there. And it's always available. The existence in every being is available to you just like Clay is available in every clay pot that you see. It blazes forth. Shankaracharya says, it choicelessly blazes forth in, in uh, Aparokshana Bhuti. He says, the clay in the pot choicelessly blazes forth. You, um, you cannot avoid seeing it. You just have to note that it's existence everywhere. Swami Vivekananda says, first it is that existence, that sat, and then we color it with good and bad. Even before good and bad, even before person I like and person I dislike, it is isness. And isness is pure. Isness is being itself. So this is called Tad Buddhaya. When? Every, every, all the time. Where? Everywhere. With whom? With everybody. With what? With everything. Have this sense of presence, isness. This is the first stage. Second, this is not enough. He says, next, Tadatmana. It is not just that there existence everywhere. I am that. Am Brahmasmi. That existence everywhere is I. It's not everywhere. Everywhere is in me. It's not every when. Every when is in me. It's not every object or person. All those objects and persons are in existence, which is me, which is I. It's an important step to own up that this universal being everywhere in every moment of my existence is this existence and this presence is I. I am presence. I am existence. I am. Now, why do we call it consciousness? The moment you say I, you notice something else. It's no longer just existence. The I is always lit up. The existence which you are is not an existence which you are aware of. That existence is awareness also. 
It is not only Sat, it is Chit, consciousness. It is being awareness. This is called Satyam Jnanam. So I am that Satyam Jnanam, existence awareness. And I've already said, it's everywhere, it's all the time, it's all beings. So that existence awareness which I am is unlimited. There's no barrier to it. Which wave in the ocean sets a barrier to water? Let me repeat that. <laughs> if you see the waves in the ocean, where is the demarcation between wave and wave as far as water is concerned? There cannot be. It's seamlessly one entity called water. Just looks like different waves. It is seamlessly one entity, existence, awareness, which is you. That seamlessly one entity is called anantam, unlimited. So satyam jnanam anantam brahma in uh, Taittiriya Upanishad, Brahmananda Valli. Infinite existence consciousness is Brahman. Yes, that, tad brahma eva aham, that Brahman I am. He says tadatmanaha. I am that. So that's the second thing you must dwell upon. I am that. I am Brahman. Then the problem will be, so again, this description is all of, of a traditional monk sitting in the mountain cave or hut and meditating. I've seen such people who meditate um, constantly. This is Nididhyasana, Vedantic meditation. Um, there is no more, you know, like studying, trying to understand, getting information and arguing. All that is done long ago. Now what happens is, for such a person, a lifestyle, um, activities can still disturb you. Activities can still disturb you. At our stage of just basic understanding and beginning to get it, we, we, com complete, we, we keep on complaining. Swami, I get it in the class. The moment I go outside the class, uh, I go out into a world, interact with people, it's all gone. Here, the commentators say that for such a monk who has the breakthrough, who has the clarity, and who is meditating, activities will disturb this meditation. What are the activities? Going out for begging uh, for food and taking a bath in the Ganga, those are the activities. And they will disturb this settledness in the being awareness. So what should one do? As far as possible, give up all other activities and stay with this alone. As much as possible. Give up all of that. That's why I'm saying this was meant for Vidvat Sanyasi, a monk who is going to do this. So I was reading about the classic examples are the direct disciples of Sri Ramakrishna, the Swami Turiyanandaji. What, what a life he led after he came back to the United States, from the United States and stayed here in different places, in the Himalayas and in other places. He, uh, extraordinarily austere life. What was he doing? I mean, there are some descriptions. He, he, used to, he used to say about his days in doing tapasya near uh, Kankhal in Uttarkashi and other places. He say, 20, uh, a monk is 23 hours um, a raja and, 20, one, and one hour a fakir. For 23 hours, you are a king and one hour you are a beggar. 23 hours a king means 23 hours you can remain settled as Brahman. One hour you have to go out and beg for your food. Then you are a beggar. <laughs> but other 23 hours you are. And literally he meant 23 hours. Uh, one monk writes in his reminiscences of Turiyanandaji that I asked him to tell us something about his experiences, his practices. So he said, at one time, I had to spend all my time 
um, he said job dhan part part dhan job study of the upanishads and the gita and then repetition it could be the ishta mantra it could be simply aham brahmasmi you know staying with it and being absorbed in samadhi when samadhi comes in it lightens come back to the repetition of the mantra if that uh, you is uh, you don't feel like doing that then go back to the study of the upanishads and the other other texts and repeat in a cycle and then he says that um, uh, i thought why sleep why sleep um, you know i'm getting full rest i don't have anything to do and i'm getting full rest in meditation so if meditation is correct is is going on well they say that it is as good as deep sleep so but that is that has to be meditation of the level of samadhi so he said i started reducing sleep till uh, i was sleeping for one to one and a half hours a day and the rest of the day um, 22 hours you know like 23 hours i was studying meditating uh, or repeating the mantra and that's it and then he said i pushed further and i he said i felt no tiredness at all i pushed further and then one day i had no sleep at all and then this went on for the second day and the third day and the fourth day and the fifth day at the end of the week i had had no sleep for a week and then he said i got scared he said i i, I remembered that swami vivekananda would not get sleep and his health suffered because of that i thought maybe it's good to practice some sleep then i started practicing sleep the first night after a week of not sleeping just meditating all night long first night when i practiced sleep it would not come then after a couple of days of practice half an hour of sleep came and then after that you know like 2 3 hours of sleep every night he would get so this is the kind of life he was leading um extremely austere completely dependent on brahman and nothing else uh, when he's off on his one of his journeys to do tapasya meditation from our ashram the hospital in kankal in haridwar is a description of the head monk of that ashram see this is an old swami a disciple of sri ramakrishna is valuable but he says no i will i'll go off alone and stay on the bank of the river and meditate so the head swami says swami at least take something with you uh, and finally he begged take this coat at least it will protect you against the cold and because he begged in such um, with such humility swami turiyananda agreed so it was a heavy overcoat so he put that on and he started walking and uh, when he put his hand in there he found a little bundle of money so that the head swami had put in a little bundle of money into the pocket uh, so that if the swami need something he can buy things swami turiyananda walked all the way back to the ashram again he had already walked 5 or 6 miles he walked all the way back to the ashram again not only returned that money returned that coat also he wouldn't accept it anymore and went <laughs> went on his way at one time there's a description of how he he had no clothes left all the clothes on his body rotted away and fell away he had only a loin cloth left that too and then he picked up rags from a dead body uh, with a cremation a body had been burnt and the clothes were thrown near the cremation ground he picked that up and another monk who was with him he said this is not auspicious swami you shouldn't use this the swami said oh, it doesn't matter i'll wash it in ganges water and then i can put it on this kind of extreme uh, dependence on god and one pointed so what was he focusing on why all the, all this this focus was entirely on uh, on brahman this um tan nitis is called tan nishtha this is the third one tan nishtha 
because all the activities can distract you you give up everything else just literally everything else and clear the board and depend only on god and stay with god it's real for you why will you not stay with it stay with that alone and that you find in lives of many great uh, gyanis whether it's ramana maharshi or many others they find at least there's a period where they are absolutely unconcerned with the world and sometimes like ramana maharshi's life you see um like month after month in samadhi not aware of the external world not even bothered whether the body will die sri ramakrishna also you see six months after todapuri left somebody else had to come and feed him push some food into his mouth so this is called tannishtha tannishtha means uh, dedicated to that focused in that stabilized in that to the exclusion of everything else all right now one more tatparayana the fourth one what happens is there are certain as long as the physical body is there there are certain activities you cannot give up uh, even if you are a monk in the himalayas you will have to go for food and you go once in a while to take a bath in the ganga maybe you have to go and give classes on vedanta to students or what not so, so there are a few few activities which you do not give up now to make sure that those activities do not distract you from your settledness in brahman you have to connect all those activities to brahman tatparayana means param ayanam the final goal the final reality of every movement of the mind is brahman any activity that you do there will be a movement in the mind it's called chitta vritti i go and ask for food its mind is active so the mind must be that must be focused you must see brahman there in that activity uh, whether uh, it, it is going out and begging for food or taking a bath or teaching others that it is brahman alone you notice it uh, inside outside everywhere that noticing that the ultimate reality in every activity is brahman that the ultimate goal of every vritti is brahman paramayanam means the ultimate goal so all activities which are indispensable which have to be performed and especially if you are a busy monk or if you are not even a monk you are in the uh, household or you are uh, in the world you're engaged with uh, many things like krishna is or arjuna is how can they do this so they have to convert every activity into brahman every vritti must be connected to brahman must must they must see brahman in every vritti that is called tatparayana there must be nothing unconnected nothing which which brings you back to this body mind identification remaining immersed in this way four stages or four practices remember tat buddhi seeing brahman everywhere like brahmar param brahmadi seeing means existence 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 then next tadatmanam i am that brahman it's not that i am there and there is a brahman which i know no i am that brahman then it becomes existence consciousness lit up by awareness all the time i am that brahman then take exclusive care to stay with it and not get involved in other things tannishtha as much as possible you need not be like swami turiyananda not to that extent but to some extent you must put forth some effort to be exclusively devoted to that spend some time for that every day it could be study it could be meditation it could be whatever you do but it must be exclusively i am brahman that cultivating that uh, and then finally even when you are active in anything else other than vedantic nididhyasana it must 
connect back it must uh, reveal brahman in those activities tatparayana so this is the advanced practice uh, what happens by all of this the next line we'll talk about but let me talk tell you about the general interpretation of this by the way general interpretation advanced interpretation where did i get all of this general inter- interpretation is given by madhusudan saraswati madhusudan saraswati gives a general interpretation which i will give you now advanced in- interpretation was by swami shankarananda who was of the time of vidyarnya swami little just before vidyarnya swami who wrote a wonderful commentary on the bhagavad gita this book um, shankarananda vyakhya so there he gives this advanced practice this uh, it's available now in sanskrit i think there's a there's also a hindi translation so that was shankarananda's commentary which is an advanced commentary um, on or an advanced practice what is the general uh, commentary on this a much more relaxed approach to it so he says madhusudan um, saraswati says start with the end tat parayana tat parayana means make up your mind that god realization is my goal my goal is god realization whatever i'm doing in life it is god realization i have um dispassion for the world my aim in life is to realize god for husband wife children job all of that is there but my goal is god realization that is tatparayana having god realization as my ultimate goal step 1 step 2 one step back what was there just before that tannishtah now become dedicated to vedanta engage in shravana and manana in the study of vedanta attend all the classes take notes think about it uh, do all the associated practices like um, devotional practices like karma yoga like meditation all of that you do that is called tannishtha discipline stay with it nishtha means dedication to it not only is it my goal i'm actually doing something about it there's a second stage third stage tadatmanam you realize that in nididhyasana the third stage is of nididhyasana shravana manana and then comes nididhyasana that i am brahman stay with that uh, idea once it's clear in the second stage that i am brahman you stay with that in vedantik nididhyasana tadatmanam and then finally the first one which was mentioned tad buddhaya here buddhi means realization or gyana you will have the breakthrough i am brahman this will come now four stages starting from the back of the verse tatparayana my goal is god realization i am a sadhaka tadnishtha i i am up and doing i am doing karma yoga bhakti yoga raja yoga i am studying vedanta all of that is going on whether you are a monk or you are a householder does not matter you are a sadhaka now actually up and doing tadnishtha that's your project in life now third now you have got vedantic clarity about what is brahman how am i brahman stay with it in vedantic meditation aparokshanubhuti shankaracharya gives 15 methods rigdrishya viveka um, six methods are there um, in vivek chudamani so many methods of meditation are given vedantic meditation so stay with it you get tadatmanam aham brahmasmi that knowledge becomes clear and steady um, beyond all doubts beyond all contrary tendencies there is a technical point here asambhavana viparita bhavana it's overcome that's the third stage and the final tad buddhaya aham brahmasmi knowledge shines forth the advanced interpretation starts from that final once aham brahmasmi knowledge stands shines forth what do you do uh, so 
then those four are interpreted in a sense of an advanced practice. What does Shankaracharya say about it, advanced or general? If you look at Shankaracharya, it's, it's deliberately vague. You could interpret it in both ways. I think that's how the two different interpretations have come. Doesn't matter. Advanced interpretation or general interpretation, what will be the result? The result will be common for uh, all, of, all of them. Gachantya punarabrittim jnana nidhuta kalmasha. Jnana nidhuta kalmasha. Cleansed of all impurity. Kalmasha, impurity. By knowledge. What knowledge? I am Brahman. That cleanses you of all. Like this movie screen is cleansed of all the good and bad of the movie. It's not the movie screen is neither tragic, nor is it funny, nor is it a disaster movie, nor is it um, a comedy, no, nothing. It is cleansed. The moment you realize, you don't even have to switch up the movie. Notice, this is the beauty of Advaita Vedanta. In yoga, you have to switch up the movie. Um, in Bhakti, you have to play a devotional movie. In Advaita Vedanta, whatever movie plays, your, your attention is on the screen, which is free, ever free of the movie, even when the movie is playing. So, you, um, um, the, it is cleansed of all the effects of karma, uh, all impurities. What are the impurities? All our past vasanas. That is gone. Then all distractions of the mind. That is gone. And then ignorance about our real self. That is gone. And even there also there might be um, doubts, which is asambhavana, or contrary tendencies, viparita bhavana. Those are also impurities. So all impurities are removed. Even the subtlest ones and all the gross ones. They're all removed when knowledge shines forth. Of course, a good deal of the groundwork has been done by the other yogas. So jnana nidhuta kalmasha. Then what happens? You are jivan mukta now. And at the death of the body, gachantya punaravrittim. You do not come back in a limited form again in this world. You are, uh, you are what is called Kaivalya Mukti or Videha Mukti. Uh, you remain as Brahman. You wear Brahman, you remain as Brahman. You go beyond uh, the, you know, any kind of worldly existence anymore. So that is the whole goal of uh, Advaita Vedanta. Mm. The Holy Mother, in a very simple way, she was asked once. She had given initiation to a disciple. And the disciple said, Mother, if I do not do the sadhana, spiritual practices, what will happen to me if I do not repeat the mantra? She said, my son, you have taken initiation from me. And so never fear. At the point of death, you will be released. She said, Sri Ramakrishna Thakur will come for you and release you. That is guaranteed. It's like a guarantee. But then she added, if you want joy and bliss in this life, then you will have to practice. Now, this is a very simple way of talking about Videha Mukti and Jivan Mukti. Uh, more philosophically, Vidyaranya says, if you have clarity about Vedanta and you make the breakthrough without all these practices also, at the point of death, you will attain Videha Mukti. He says it's guaranteed. Such a person will never come back again. Once you make the breakthrough. But, he says, this is not equal to Jivan Mukti. For Jivan Mukti, uh, he uses other terms. He says it's called Vasanakshaya and Manonasha. Those things have to be done. According to him, three things are necessary for Jivan Mukti. Tattvagyana, Vasanakshaya, Manonasha. Tattvagyana is what is called knowledge here, the breakthrough. Vasanakshaya is what is called purity of mind here. And Manonasha is what is called Samadhi or concentration of mind, focus. 
that vasanakshaya and pure and concentration of mind those are the two things which these these extremely these advanced practices they give you once you have the breakthrough the, this is vedantic nididhyasana which which depend on and strengthen the purity of the mind and the focus of the mind uh, mind is kept pure of everything except brahman and focused on nothing but brahman your real nature you might say why wouldn't it be once you realize your brahman and brahman is the only thing that there is but remember mind and body are part of prakriti mind and body are products of maya they have their own tendencies they have their own inertia you realize your brahman fine but the mind and body will tend to go on the way they have been conditioned earlier so the conditioning has not been done properly you have not finished the course of the fourfold qualifications then the mind and body will not reflect your realization fully to reflect the realization fully and to get the full benefit the joy of jivan mukti the great bliss of being enlightened in this life itself these practices are necessary this is what swami vivekananda calls assimilation of the knowledge he says till it tingles i am he he says till it tingles you stay with it he says till it tingles with every drop of your blood that's a very powerful way he put it it must become a very natural thing that the way people think i am the body it must go there that i am brahman that must be equally natural and effortless then you are jivan mukta good so let me see um alpana is asking swami nirvikalpa samadhi is the pure consciousness being revealed or is still reflected consciousness feels in the quiet in mind pure consciousness is always revealed and does not take nirvikalpa samadhi to reveal it it takes knowledge see notice what was said agyane navritam gyanam that you are pure consciousness your existence consciousness place is obscured by ignorance ignorance is removed by knowledge not by nirvikalpa samadhi nirvikalpa samadhi is a very powerful aid to it there is no doubt about it notice sri ramakrishna never said that you have to attain nirvikalpa samadhi we all often think that sri ramakrishna only said the maximum thing he said he, you know very interesting the when you see the gospel of sri ramakrishna what is most attractive to people is he is going to samadhi again and again but when he teaches he teaches either gyana or bhakti he says the goal of human life is to attain gyana knowledge or he says the goal of human life is to attain bhakti by the way all these verses i am saying now these are all can be interpreted in a dualistic way and they have been if you take a devotional paradigm advaita vedanta paradigm for example a dualistic or vishishta advaita paradigm it can be interpreted in terms of bhakti also no problem but i am giving you the advaitic interpretation no way does sri ramakrishna say that you have to practice samadhi he only the, at most in one place he says samadhi na hole thik thik hoy na unless you become absorbed in it in samadhi it's not done properly it's not done right and that vidyarni also agrees and that's what you see in these four practices basically what is he recommending that you become absorbed you get samadhi through vedantik nididhyasana stay with that for a long time uh, and that you also one way of looking at is look at the lives of the great teachers of vedanta that's the best uh, explanation all these things are there one might get confused after reading all of this you check with the lives of the great masters whom you may have seen or you have read about 
you will notice all of them, they spend long periods in deep contemplation. Girish, does pure consciousness as Atman overlap with the Western concept of phenomenal consciousness? What it feels like to experience something or to completely are the two disjoint? You can explain now. Uh-huh. What is this phenomenal concept consciousness? It is the reflection of pure consciousness in the mind. When we say I, remember I mentioned it a number of times at the beginning. When we say I, normally, usually, we mean this body and the mind and the awareness of consciousness in this body-mind. In, um, in Vedantic terms, sthula, shukshma, karana, sharira, chidabhasa, saha, with chidabhasa, with the reflected consciousness. What you mean by phenomenal consciousness, what you mean by what it feels like, what we think, what we experience right now, thoughts, feelings, memories, all of it feel conscious, feels conscious, sense experiences, it all feels conscious. What is that consciousness? It is reflected consciousness. Is it not no, pure consciousness? It's not apart from pure consciousness. Moonlight. What is moonlight's relationship with sunlight? Ultimately, they're the same thing. There's no moonlight without sunlight. And yet, it makes sense to talk about moonlight. It has a specific function and a special, special way it comes about. But it's nothing other than sunlight. Reflected consciousness is nothing other than pure consciousness. But it's already processed through uh, a mind and senses. Brick says, does realization of the Atman obliterate a sense of personal self? No. Uh, I have a friend who says that their realization, which I believe is genuine profound, has done that. But what he obviously experiences pleasure and pain, normal emotions, etc. Who or what is the experience in such a case? That's why the Vedantic texts are very useful. Um, Panchadashi answers this directly. Once you have realization, then the word I the term I will have two meanings for you. He says the term I has three meanings. One for all of us and two for the enlightened being. The one for all of us means this. That's all it means. This body mind. This person. That's what is meant by I for just about all of us except the few enlightened ones among us. But for the enlightened person, the I means two things. One, primary sense. Two, secondary sense. Primary sense, it means Brahman, the Atman. I am awareness, I am presence. It's absolutely clear, indubitable for them. But does it obliterate the secondary sense of the I? No, there's there's another sense of the I, which is body-mind. But it is a secondary sense. So it's not like us. When we say we are body-mind, that's all we mean. That's, That's our reality. It's not their reality. That's why your friend, if, if um, her realization is genuine, then she's honest when she says that I do not have a sense of, uh, of being a person. There is an appearance of a person. If you ask her, that's what she'll agree to that. There's an appearance of a person. I'm clearly not it. And that appearance of a person enables her to interact with all of us. Vidyanya Swami says this, that the, the other sense of the eye, it is for interaction with the world. So Vedanta says, you don't have to go overboard with this, with all this Advaita Vedanta, you know, like uh, when you interact with people, if you're practicing Vedantic Niridhyasana, you don't have to say, I, the absolute consciousness reflected, bouncing off the appearance of the uh, causal body, subtle body and and, um, uh, gross body, 
I am now appearing as Mr. So and so to you and talking with you. No, you just say I am I am talking with you. That's perfectly all right. Sri Ramakrishna would you know sometimes switch back and forth. He would say sometimes this. He would refer to his body mind as an object, this thing. Sometimes he would say, uh, "I am going to Calcutta. I am going to drink water." So, what's going to drink water? Is Brahman going to drink water? No, this body mind. But there's a difference between uh, the way we use "I" and the enlightened person referring to the body mind. The enlightened person uses "I" in a quite a different sense from us. It's more like play acting for them, and also. if they follow these advanced practices these these what what was mentioned just now actually a sense of body mind tends to get erased for such persons uh-huh. they may not be in samadhi swami bhuteshan ji says that we have seen this in the case of very advanced spiritual seekers who is saying swami bhuteshan ji is the president of the ramakrishna order he says we have seen it in the the disciples of sri ramakrishna and other advanced spiritual um, seekers they and I, and he mentions clearly i am not talking about samadhi they are fully aware of the world and the body and yet they seem to be not aware they were it is it is a unique thing he says unless you see it you will not understand there is this you know very holy atmosphere a vibration around them and they seem to be absorbed in something unknown unseen to you there is not that they are not aware of you they are aware of you they are aware of their own body they are aware of a distinction of a personality of individuality but all of that it's like they are making an effort to hold on to it it's like it is being erased they're trying to get it back and hold on to it in order to interact with us their absorption in brahman is so deep even when they are active with body mind interacting with the world it's still an effort for them they they become so immersed in the in the sense of you see this again and again with sri ramakrishna ramana maharshi swami vivekananda they would go into this little samadhis they would sort of lose track of time of people of what's going on in the world and they would have to make a, you can see a clear effort being made to concentrate on it's like nisargadatta was once asked are you constantly aware of brahman what is it like is it like some idea or an abstraction or some kind of you know like practice nisargadatta said no at that time in mumbai um it was daytime and you could see the sun and the moon on one horizon and sometimes you can see the moon faintly on one horizon and the sun in the sky he said it's exactly like this brahman for me the reality is like that sun indubitably blazing forth effortlessly always available and what you call the world body mind world is that like that faint outline the moon okay um vishwanathan says richard feynman talks about the difference between knowing something versus knowing the name of something and that's true in um chandogya upanishad narada speaks about mantra vid aham natu tattva vid i am the knower of words but i don't know the reality he says he says he goes to the teacher and says i am full of sorrow teach me teach me about brahman why about brahman because i hear that brahma vid um, the, the knower of brahman goes beyond so- sorrow and he says what do you know now what's what's the state like 
what degrees have you gotten? So Narada gives a whole list. He's mastered just about every branch of knowledge. But he says, look, I know words, but I don't know the ultimate reality. I also remember this uh, Schopenhauer once says very beautifully, he says, do your words come from more words or do they come from silence? Charles Chow says, is Shraddha faith a result of his own resolution, a gift from the grace of God? Even if the farmer own resolution without grace, insights may not be possible. Who or what is this God from which grace comes? So the question of grace is, um, yes, uh, Kripa, Saguna Brahman, Ishwara, Vedanta has no problem with that. And from Advaita Vedanta perspective, it doesn't even have to be a particular, you know, Vaishnava kind of religion or Shaiva or Shakta kind of religion. Uh, you could be a, a Christian or a Muslim uh, and praying to God. And what is the conception of God in Vedanta? Vedanta Sara class. Huh? Definition. Samashti Agyan Upahita Chaitanyam. Consciousness limited by Maya is Ishwara or God. Madhusudan Saraswati, yes, we're talking of Madhusudan Saraswati, who gave the general interpretation. Girish, the brains of non-long-time meditators differ from those of non-meditators, measurable by fMRI, etc. Can a state of enlightenment be so detected? I think yes. You know why? It might sound strange. Um, because Brahmakara Vritti is also a Vritti. The final enlightenment which destroys ignorance is also a movement in the mind and if every movement in the mind especially such a powerful movement in the mind is associated with some kind of neuronal activity there might be some counterpart to it brahman itself cannot be uh, detected because there is nothing in the movie which will um, reveal the screen or unless you know what a screen is then everything in the movie reveals the screen but no amount of investigations by a scientist in the movie will reveal the screen on which the movie is playing. Yeah. Um, Bill says he must have been experiencing great joy through Yanand. Yes, he was always he was very joyful. He was never, never uh, unhappy. He seemed to be very strict. He would scold, but he was also joyful all the time. Sub. Um, Swamiji, Turiyananda cannot depend on Brahman, which would be technically wrong. It would be Saguna Brahman. See, it's another thing. If you read the letters of Swami Turiyananda, he's talking about Brahman in one moment and talking about the mother the next moment. Saguna Brahman, Nirguna Brahman are not two different things. This is one thing that has to be realized. It might sound, after all this Advaita Vedanta, it might sound contradictory. We have, we have dispensed with word and body and mind and Maya, it's time to get rid of poor God also. But remember, it's a conceptual distinction. They explain it this way. Um, Shiki. Now, this is a monastic uh, explanation. So, you know, the, the brahmacharis, they have the sacred tuft of hair, like the ponytail, uh, the sacred tuft of hair, Shikha. When you become a monk, so two things are given up, the shikha and the sacred thread which you wear. So they are taken off and it's cut off and it's put into the viraja home of the, the fire. So there are particular mantras for that. It's an elaborate ritual. Many things are done. Part of that is taking off the sacred tuft of hair. And it's your guru, the one who gives you the uh, final vows of monasticism of becoming a monk. He will cut off that hair. What it signifies is that you're not 
a part of the ritualistic part of uh, of vedas anymore you are not entitled to do karma kanda anymore you are elevated into the the knowledge part of the vedas the upanishads the gyana kanda that's it you are not no longer part of the um the household religion the the vedic um, uh, you know ritualistic householder's life you cannot do that anymore but anyway my point here is different when the novice has that sacred tuft of hair he is called shikhi shikha means sacred tuft of hair so shikhi means the one who has the sacred tuft of hair the moment you cut off that there is no more shikhi the shikha is gone the sacred tuft of hair is gone and the one with the sacred tuft of hair is gone but not really now it is it's no longer a brahmachari it's swami so and so it's just because the sacred tuft of hair is not there anymore you cannot use the name um, shikhi to that the one who has the sacred tuft of hair but has the person gone just because you cut off a little bit of hair of course not the person is still there so uh, exactly like that nirguna brahman with maya is called saguna brahman god it's like the sacred tuft of hair if we let go of maya what remains nirguna brahman alone remains saguna brahman is not there anymore but it's not that there are two th- different things it's the same saguna brahman who's uh, who remains as the ultimate reality nirguna brahman now what does this mean practically practically it means the jivan mukta the enlightened being can happily shift back and forth between nirguna and saguna between gyana and bhakti with no problem at all look at the upanishads bhagavad gita upanishad that's why um upanishads and bhagavad gita they talk about brahman with attributes and brahman without attributes very smoothly they they go back and forth brahman without attributes from strictly advaitic perspective is the only reality because those attributes are attributes of maya therefore brahman with attributes is nothing but brahman without attributes with maya uh, but it's the same thing it's the same reality why is it not why not why only god even you are that brahman if you are brahman what how what harm has god done why can't god also be brahman saguna brahman is also actually nirguna brahman jiva you the jiva you are actually nirguna brahman so turyananda ji will see often in a devotional mode often in a gyana mode and smoothly switching back and forth with no problem at all there is a nice discussion between turyananda ji and uh, one sadhu shantinath who was a very strict non dualist very austere monk so he came and he talked with swami turyananda he is not a member of our order he is a nath sampraday um the chief minister of uttar pradesh yogi adityanath so that that same order um so this sadhu santinath was a very strict uh, non dualist and a yogi also so he's talking he would come and debate sometimes with turyanand ji turyanand ji was very old at that time in kashi so here's one sample turyanand ji said swami turyanand said look you know what our attitude is hanuman said to ramachandra i mean i see as a body i am thy servant uh, as a jiva i am a part of thee and as the atman i am you this is my final conviction so as body i am the servant uh, dasoham deha buddhya dasoham uh, and i am identified with the body i am your servant this is dualistic vedanta dvaita jiva buddhya tvadankshaka as a sentient being 
I am a part of you. Part and whole relationship means Vishishtadvaita. Atma buddhya tu tvamevaham. But from the perspective of Atman as pure consciousness, you and I are one reality. Who is saying? Hanuman is saying to Ramachandra, you and I are one reality. Then what is your conviction? This is my conviction. All of it. But many people do not know Shantinath's reply to it. Shantinath said, that is a wrong interpretation, Swami. Identification with the body uh, and identification with the mind, these are wrong identification. Therefore, identified with the body. And he said that, Atma buddhya tu tvamevaham. As the Atman, with knowing myself as the Atman, that word tu means but. And Shantinath said that but shows that the other two, uh, the first two options are rejected. You are not the body. You are not the mind. You are the Atman. And unless you reject those two, you cannot come to the Atma Buddhi. Therefore, you are not the servant of God. You are not even a part of God. You are one with God and this is the only correct interpretation. What was Turyanji's response? Turyanji burst out laughing and he stroked his head and he said, well, 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 have it your way. <laughs> so that's a very strict non-dualistic interpretation, which I like, but you have to see that it's a, a very non-compromising, uncompromising non-dualism. But it's correct. Technically, it's correct, what he said. All right, we'll stop. We have really gone overboard. It's, as you can see, it's one of my favorite verses. So I tend to hold forth Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu